Carlton, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me back. All right. So today um, we're going to talk about decision engines, and I just want to start off by we'll, we'll explain what they are in a minute. But what's the problem we're trying to address with a decision engine? Why why would we even think about it? So really, there are two factors that are, uh, or you, I mean, you can call them three that. Uh, decision engines are, are really meant to address uh, that's causing this problem uh, that they need to address. Uh, one is that, you know, the internet and, uh, you know, technology in general has made it so much easier for customers to access information. Uh, so because of that, they're presented with larger and larger sets of choices. Uh, the other one is uh, that they are increasingly taking control over their purchasing decisions. They are waiting longer, and there are studies that have shown this, uh, to contact sales representatives. Uh, they are owning more of their own decision-making process. They're not handing it over to suppliers or third parties. So they want to be able to make their own decisions, but at the same time, the complexity of the decision is increasing because of, again, this access to increasing information and also just more choice that's being created in society in general as industries grow, et cetera. Uh, so there needs to be something that uh, brings those things back down for them a little bit because what happens and what you see, and again, this is also something that's been studied and scientifically shown, is that uh, when you have a purchasing decision that takes more time, what you're effectively doing is increasing the cost of that decision. Or on the other hand, it would require making a decision that involves less certainty and more ambiguity as to what the correct option is and thereby making the decision more risky. And a risky decision has a decreased perceived value because you're less certain that the ultimate selection is going to really be what you need. So what these two things do is it increases the likelihood of a no decision outcome. So that would be where a customer uh, doesn't actively decide not to purchase a product, but rather just simply does not make a decision. They, you know, they're mentally blue screened. They walk away. They say, I don't have time to deal with this right now. I'm just going to go do something else and deal with it later. And that's literally what it is. The problem still exists and they know the problem's still there. They're not choosing to ignore the problem. They're just not making a decision because the process of making a decision has become so difficult that they just don't want to deal with it. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I love how, how you describe they blue screened mentally. Uh, that's a fantastic <laughs> picture. We all do there. it. <laughs> oh yeah. And um, yeah, I, I understand lots of studies show they have too many choices ends up in no choice at all. And, and that's not what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. So um, tell us exactly what a, a decision engine is and give us an example. Sure. So a decision engine is really a tool uh, that brings together choice, uh, information, and also has functionality which assists in the processing of that information. And that last part's really important because, you know, you can have a lot of choices and a lot of information that's out there, but you need to not only have those things co-located, but also provide functionality that helps them make an actual decision. So really what the decision engine is aiming to do is it's aiming to 
own the buying journey in a sense. So, you know, the customers have a set of informational needs uh, that they require in order to make an informed decision. And the decision engine seeks to sort of, you know, overlay on top of their purchasing decision in a manner which enables them to make the decision without having to sort of go all over the place to find this different information. Um, so a really a good example I think a lot of people would be familiar with uh, are the websites that are out there for, you know, helping select airline flights or hotels, uh, things like Kayak, Expedia, my favorite Tipmunk, it's just a personal favorite, uh, you know, where they're aggregating all of this different information for you on different flights, uh, you know, different times. They have really good uh, layouts that help you very clearly see what the options are in terms of price, in terms of schedule, in terms of layovers, and a lot of other things that are really important in that decision-making process so that you can just go to that website and make a decision then and there. Uh, you know, it really reduces the complexity. It takes less time. It uh, increases the certainty because it's presenting you with a lot of information and thereby enabling you to make a confident decision in a shorter amount of time in one location. Right. Now, that's a, I love that example. I mean, I'm a big kayak user and, um, and sometimes still there seem to be, of course, they will show you everything that meets your criteria. So you have to continue to whittle those down. I mean, in a sense, you're playing 20 questions, right? <laughs> well, I mean, and that's how decisions are made. You yeah. know, decisions aren't linear. It's not like, you know, this, uh, you know, back in like the 60s or 70s or whenever it was where they had, you know, the, the funnel model where it's just options are slowly being narrowed down as the customer has a better understanding of their criteria. You know, we know that's not what's actually happening. You know, you're sort of changing your criteria as you go along and you learn different things about the different options and you're adding and, and removing criteria uh, and, you know, solutions from consideration. So the ability uh, to have that kind of a flexibility where, you know, you can be dynamic in your search uh, is important for a decision engine. I, I really like that idea. So I hadn't really thought about that and about how you're changing your criteria as you go. So we're going to come back to that in a second. But let's let's lay out the types of products that are suitable for applying a decision engine in the in the purchasing process. Well, I mean, well, for one, you know, I'd like to bring that out a little bit and, you know, uh, say that it's not just products necessarily. You know, this can be for services as well. Uh, it can be for really anything. You know, there's no specific type of product uh, that is, you know, suitable for creating a decision engine. Uh, it's just that the difficulty in creating an effective decision engine varies based upon the nature of the purchasing decision and also the nature of the solutions themselves. So for example, you know, if you have a physical product, that's usually pretty easy to define. Uh, they have, you know, a static set of attributes. Uh, they are often directly comparable when you're considering other things that are, um, you know, you would put in the same category. Uh, you know, but if you're purchasing, let's say, you know, a service, you know, there are sort of a million shades of gray when it comes to a service. There can be, you know, sort of infinitely variable uh, set of attributes that a service might have. So that just makes it a little bit more difficult to work with, a little bit more difficult to build, but it most certainly can be done. Okay. So let's, 
so I imagine a couple things. So, you know, maybe you're selling antibodies and of course there's, you want to help people find the right ones. And, and maybe that's reasonably straightforward. Then I think about mass spectrometry and maybe, I mean, would a configurator be considered a decision engine to say, I want this feature and that feature, but I don't need that feature, for example? Well, usually when you have a, a configurator, it's being put forward by a brand. Yes, so, exactly. So, you know, let's say just to throw a name out there, you know, let's say Agilent has, you know, a bunch of different mass specs and they have a tool to help customers select which one of their mass specs would be the most suitable for their needs. Now, that would not be a decision engine because they're only putting forward their own products. So it's not able to sort of uh, supplant the traditional activities that would be performed in a buying journey. It's only you know, uh, it's only enabling one small piece of it. If the customer wants to compare Agilent to something else, then they still need to go somewhere else. So, you know, that's a useful tool and it provides a good customer experience for uh, customers who are looking for an Agilent mass spectrometer. But more broadly, for customers who are looking for mass specs, that wouldn't really do the job. Now, if, say, you know, a, a third party was to go and create a configurator that compiled information from many different brands, now you have a decision engine potentially because now you can say, okay, well, you know, we're not going to shove you in this box of one manufacturer, which will probably not be uh, a sufficient amount of choice for you to be confident in your decision. We're going to show you this information for everybody. So then you might be able to uh, you know, sort of supplant the traditional buying journey. All right. So I love this. Now I want to go off on this spur for a little bit. So what would, cause I think a lot of companies wouldn't include their competitors products, right? That's absolutely true. So, so, <laughs> so we're relying on a third party or we're relying, you know, how would I, if let's say I wanted to sell someone a decision engine, not that I'm going to, but, um, there, and you mentioned increased perceived value when they're more confident about their choice. Mm -hmm. So does it become a question of weighing, all right, if we put all our competitors products here, maybe we get a higher achieved price on our sales, even though we might lose a few of them to other people. Does it make sense that way? Or, and then they say what, but when they decide that they want ours, they they really know that they've made the right choice and therefore we can charge more for it. Well, I mean, what you explain is, you know, definitely true. Uh, you know, that manufacturers don't want to put other companies' products, uh, you know, on, on their website, on properties that they own. Uh, service providers don't want to refer uh, people whose attention they have to other service providers. Uh, you know, and as a marketer, I wouldn't necessarily encourage them to do so. Uh, however, what I think, you know, is definitely powerful is uh, the ability to do this as a sort of standalone thing. I mean, you know, obviously, Kayak and Expedia are huge companies right. uh, that have made a lot of money just being decision engines. Uh, it's very, very powerful for distributors who often compile a lot of, uh, of competing products anyway. Uh, and, you know, it certainly uh, can yeah. be done, you know, it certainly can be used for manufacturers as well. I don't want to completely dissuade manufacturers from 
considering building decision engines. Uh, but you know, I, I think the considerations are a little bit different with regard to the role that they might play. So you know, if you have a very good definition of your target market, uh, then you know certainly you can you know sort of slice. Uh, your own niche and then say, okay, well, we'll sort of build the rest of it around that niche. So we'll do a really good job of uh, leading customers who are within our, our really highly targeted niche to us and then make sure that those other customers who might, you know, consider one of our products, but really would be best served by another product, you know, we'll guide those somewhere else. So we're just going to be honest about our positioning. Uh, you know, also you could, do something like, okay, well, we're going to build a decision engine, but we're going to feature our own products more strongly in order to make them more visible, uh, you know, or just make them stand out, make a customer more likely to, uh, to choose one of our products. And, you know, really the, another one of the benefits for a manufacturer of doing this is that, you know, once you have a decision engine for something and, you know, it becomes fairly, uh, fairly well adopted, now you've sort of crowded out any other ones. So, you know, the possibility that somebody else is going to do this and then it will be outside your control is also something that needs to be considered because once that happens, now you've lost your opportunity. You can't do it. You can't favor yourself. So there are definitely benefits for manufacturers to do something like this. Uh, but I think the benefits are greater if you're doing it either as a standalone business model or if you're a distributor or something akin to it. Yes. Okay. So now I understand much better. I mean, the distributor or third-party standalone thing makes complete sense. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I really like the idea. Um, so let's go back to, cause I really want to think about when you said, um, people are flexible and they're with their criteria and those things may change. Like, uh, of course I've got a picture of kayak in my head and I'm looking and, and of course I sort by price first and then I try to tweak it a little bit and say how much more, cause this is the way it always works. How much more am I willing to pay to not have mm. a three hour layover in Las Vegas for example, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Right. And so you're tweaking the, the sliders to do that. So how, how do you, but there still have to be some base criteria that you have to define about how you're going to build the engine, right? And I'm just trying to, I guess what I'm getting at is, what is the thought process that, that goes into building this? How do you make sure that you're giving the right options um, for ranges of choices or however you want to call it to the user? Gotcha. So you know, really what you're trying to do with a decision engine again is, you know, mimic the customer's buying journey. You, you know, the decision engine wants to say to the customer, okay, you know, we know how the way in which you need to make this decision and we're going to help you make that decision in the way that you would have made it otherwise. So obviously that requires a complete understanding of the scientist buying journey. So you have to do you know, sort of normal marketing things like defining your customer personas, uh, investigating the range of customer preferences, determine how customers are currently evaluating options, uh, determine what their informational requirements are, you know, what information do they need to be able to be confident uh, in making a decision. Uh, and you need to, you know, compile all that information and really fully understand it. Because again, 
you're not trying to change the basis by which customers are making their decisions. You're trying to help them make decisions in a manner similar to how they would have done so otherwise. You don't want to create resistance by changing the way they're thinking about things. You just want to help them you know, you know, fully understand their options and obtain all the information that they need in order to make a very comfortable decision. So then once you've done that and you have all that information, you are you know, very confident in understanding the different buying journeys. Uh, you know, now you sort of map that out and form a plan to recreate that process. Uh, so you know, a, a lot of times that'll just center on allowing a customer to you know, select values for a range of attributes, which you've determined to be of reasonably high importance to decision making. So again, we're going back to Expedia or Kayak or something, you know, you have your price, you have your schedule slider or whatever it is, you know, and those are you know, the really high importance things that they put at the top and that you're playing with most of the time, you know, so you're really trying to recreate that decision process. You don't want to build too much linearity into it. Uh, in favor of operational simplicity, because, you know, that's, again, not really how decisions are made. You need customers to be able to kind of play around and tweak things as they go forward. Uh, so then once you have all that done, you have your framework for uh, your decision engine. And this is a, a pretty important point here. You know, you have to build the assortment of options. Uh, and, you know, that's not necessarily trivial. Uh, because, you know, there also involves some decisions of, you know, well, what's the goal of the decision engine? Do we want to be able to, uh, you know, have everything there? Or do we just want enough options to satisfy the customer's desire for choice? And that's going to be dependent on the goals of the business model, or excuse me, the goals of the decision engine, uh, the business model of the organization who is creating the decision engine, uh, etc. And also, not just that, but the uh, quality of the decision engine itself. Because if you have a really, really uh, high quality decision engine that very efficiently helps customers distill their options down to a limited number of good choices, uh, then you can have a very, very broad array of choice. However, if your decision engine isn't quite as effective, then too many options might confound your users and create an inability to distill all of those options down into a digestible amount of uh, potential solutions for them. Yeah. Okay. And, and some of those things are testable, right? I mean, I can imagine you could create an engine and turn on or off some attributes, right? To figure out whether they, uh, I would think you could get the results and say, it doesn't matter whether we have this slider here or not the the purchase rates the same or something is that yeah, uh, yeah absolutely i mean you can a b test a decision engine just like you would a b test any other kind of uh, conversion funnel because that's essentially what it is you know right. you're saying okay well how many customers are going through and completing this process so you know if we uh, provide uh, you know this attribute as a you know an option where they can input a value to uh, you know does that increase or, or decrease the number of people who complete this process uh, if we add uh, you know 50 percent more choice in terms of the number of solutions uh, does that increase or decrease conversion etc yeah that's cool um so there's a big database that sits behind this thing, right? And you've and it's built based on attributes and values for the most part. Is is it more complicated than that? Um, I mean, not really. That's 
pretty much, uh, you know, how it usually works. It's usually on some kind of database that has all the information on the different options uh, and, uh, you know, serves customers uh, solutions based on the values that they input, you know, and how they cross-reference to that database. And there's a lot of technical stuff that's not worth getting into in terms of how it can work, et cetera. Uh, but generally, yes, you know, there is some database that sits behind it. I suppose you could potentially do something else and not have it be based on a database, but that, I don't know. I don't know how that would work. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> um, so you mentioned um, something in your paper um, that I'm going to link to in, in the show notes. Um, but for example, helping academics decide where to publish. Um, and I like that. Of course it's content oriented, but I, can you talk a little bit more about that? I guess I'm trying to think like <laughs> what would a, would a scientist use that at all? I mean, I, that's, and that's sort of aside from the whole thing, but get opening people's minds to the many different ways they could use these, but let's take that example and, and how, what would that look like? <laughs> Way to put me on the spot. Yeah, exactly. Hey, <laughs> hey, Carlton, build a decision engine for me right now on my podcast. <laughs> well, you brought it up in the paper, so it's on you. Okay, great. <laughs> I've now committed myself to this. Uh, so, uh, I mean, well, I, I guess, uh, you know, obviously, if you were going to have a something where you were helping uh, scientists to decide where to publish, uh, you know, the having something that would then narrow down journals, uh, certainly by topic uh, would be good. Maybe they would be able to put in a keyword and, you know, be presented a, you know, some kind of weighted list based on how often that uh, that topic, you know, that keyword appears in that journal, uh, you know, certainly impact factor is something, uh, that, you know, you would want to present to customers, uh, to scientists, I should say. Um, and I mean, yeah, I mean, it's really, you know, the actual way that it's presented and I don't want to downplay the importance of it, but, you know, obviously the big factors are, well, what are the criteria that are being, used to make the decision. And, you know, I think that's definitely, uh, you know, some of the major ones, uh, you know, there are some other things as well. Are they open access or not? Right. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of people prioritize that. How much does it cost? That's, yeah. you know, turnaround time. Yeah. Turnaround time. Yeah. If, if you could get that information, <laughs> good luck getting that information from the publishers. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys, how often does it take you to approve a journal article? <laughs> well, I, users, I you could imagine users could create that database. Like they would somehow feed into it. If it's a third party thing, how long did it take to publish your paper here? And eventually See, and, you build and, it and now, and now we're getting into another one of my favorite topics, which is resource marketing. Cause now you have something where uh, and you know a decision engine for people who pay attention to uh to my writings and and things that uh that we put on our on the BioBM blog and things like that you know a decision engine can definitely be you know a resource it's something that actively provides value to customers and builds uh brand affinity by the fact that they can go back and derive value from these types of tools over and over and over again uh and by putting in some kind of functionality where the users then had feedback to the decision engine. Like in this case, you had mentioned, you know, you could solicit user feedback on how long it took to get, uh, you know, an exception or rejection. So basically a, an average time to decision or something like that. Uh, and 
collect that information and then uh, you know, integrate that into the decision engine. Now you have an element of co-creation, so you're really increasing the brand affinity as well. And that would be that would be good. That's a good idea. That's probably the best idea that uh, <laughs> that you might have had for uh, for this particular thing. Nice. Well, thank you. Um, well, I'm going to put a like I mentioned. I'll put a link um, to your report on decision engines in the show notes, so people can have something they can read. Of course, there'll be a transcript of this podcast on my website. Um, but how sh- how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about this? Well, uh, I would encourage people to aside from downloading the report, they're welcome to shoot me an email. Uh, carlton.hoyt at biobm.com or uh, give me a phone call 313-312-4626 I'm happy to talk to you Uh, you can visit the blog on our website biobm.com we do write a lot of stuff there Uh, you know we have a resource center you can poke around see uh, you know what different topics you're interested in we have a bunch of different papers uh, webinar recordings all sorts of tasty num nums for people who are interested in life science marketing nice all right. Well, Carlton Hoyt, it's been a pleasure talking yep. to you again. This it's been a year since we did this, and I it's think been a year yeah, already. Yeah, I and mean, we're gonna do another one um, on some other resource thing. I think in the future. Oh, what was it? You said something about well, resource marketing. I think is what you said, right? I am is a topic that we are very passionate about. Yeah, yep. I know. So <laughs> we'll we'll set that up for sometime in the future. But um, thanks very much for all of this today. I think it's been really interesting and definitely open my mind a little bit about how, how these things are used. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for having me. It's a pleasure. Always. All right. Take care.